When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What a day, what a day. We are back sitting courtside on the Her Hoop Stats Podcast Network. I am Christy Winter Scott, joined as always on courtside by Gabe Ibrahim. And Gabe, we have a queen of the court. We do. We have a queen of the court. And Stanford takes home the hardware this year. Oh my goodness, 29 years in between championships. Tara Vanderveer was on the sideline then, on the sideline now. Mm-hmm. How incredible is that for Stanford? You know, it kind of blew my mind because I, you know, yeah. I, it, I have not uh, always been a huge women's basketball fan. I've actually haven't been like a huge basketball fan for that long. But to me, like Stanford is one of those programs. There's Tennessee, there's UConn, there's Stanford. Those three are really the preeminent to me. No offense to Maryland. Um, I was about but, to say, you throw Maryland there if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> but just like when you, you know, the ones that you think about because like the Aguma yeah. K's were at Stanford and, sure. and Tara has always been like towards the top of the wins list. And just like they're, they've, they've made so many final fours and sweets in the elite eights. And it's like, you think they would have, they had more championships and you yeah. can realize like they hadn't won a championship in my lifetime. They won one in 1992. I was born yeah. in 93 and they haven't won one until now. No, and they made two Final Fours after that, but lost in those. And, you know, I just like to say that just because you want to win doesn't mean you will win. And just because you have won doesn't mean you will win every single time. And I think the expectations are set when you're successful. And it's kind of a shock when you don't get there. I mean, you look at a team like UConn, who has been to 11 final or have won 11 final four championships and their last four final fours that they've been in, they've lost in the semifinals, but still you, you just mentioned it. Like they are a team that you mentioned when you think of success in women's basketball, but I mean, just because you won it doesn't mean you get it every single time. And I think, you know, the people who don't understand that are people who have never won because if you have won, you know how difficult it is to get right back up there and win again. So kudos to all who have won at all, Uh, but also give an extra credit to those who have done it more than once. Those who have been to the final four more than once. I mean, you look at, at the teams in the, in the men's final four Baylor, you know, he got Mm -hmm. the job 18 years ago and says, yeah, I would like to win a championship. 18 years later, he gets it. So let's be realistic. Let's understand what the journey uh, of winning championships is all about and how it's not a given, but it is earned. And boy, when you get there, you're, you're there and you better absorb that moment because who knows how long it will be until you get back there. And the other thing is in, in this tournament, college basketball mm-hmm. in particular, on both the men's mm-hmm. and women's side, the best team does not always win. You can have okay. the best players. You can have the top five recruits to the nation as seniors. Mm-hmm. And hey, what you know, we can look at UConn from 2013 to 2016. Yes, they have the best players that won all the time. But it doesn't. It's not necessarily a one to one. Like we're the best team, therefore we will win. Right. Have, this year, 
like I totally Stanford obviously was one of the best teams, but you can make a case that South Carolina was the best team in the country. UConn was the best team in the country. We made the case that Maryland was the best team in the country. And, and those teams didn't win because it takes something a little bit more than just talent, than just great coaching, than just great schemes. It takes something that, you know, it's undefinable and we could add words to it, but it doesn't, you'll never be able to define the thing that makes a champion in each season. I think Stanford's journey this year really do do you, that, that helped them for sure. Right. Like even though it was tough in the season, that journey of not being able to play at home, you know, having to stay in hotels, having to have camaraderie with each other and making the best out of a bad situation that I think gave them a little bit extra boost this year. I agree with that a thousand percent. I think that, you know, as human beings, there's always a lot to complain about, right? Mm-hmm. Especially now, like when things are taken away from you, I think what, what 2020 and 2021 so far, I think has taught us all is to, hey, what, what do we have instead of what we're missing, right? Mm-hmm. And for Stanford not to have their home court because of the uh, COVID protocols in California and their county uh, taking away that for them, especially the seniors, that had to have been like, oh, agonizing. I mean, just thinking about that, just going back to being a senior and how you want to be on your home court and how you want to have that kind of pride, uh, whether the fans are there or not, at least you would have the confines of your own crib, if you will. But I, I think with with them having to make those sacrifices without complaining and say to themselves, well, this is what we need to do to compete. Mm-hmm. And and forget about all the things that we don't have. What do we have? We have each other. We have this moment. We have the opportunity. And I think it paid dividends. I think it was it's that mental fortitude, that lock in, that focus, that grit. That's what it is. When you were talking about, we can think of words to to equal what it means to to win a championship. But I think all of those emotions go into it. And yeah, they they had some some adversity with that. Um, they missed a lot of games early on because of it. Um, couldn't play at home. I had to stay in a hotel. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, come on. But what would the alternative be? Not playing at all. And I think that's what drove them to be a little bit better in this tournament. It's, um, and I know this is a big saying and a lot of people say it, but the person I always think of is Eric Spolstra. He says, he tells his teams, don't let go of the rope when the heat we're, yes. struggling, we're struggling. Don't let go of the rope. And yeah. that's what Stanford did this season. Cause there was times where Keanu Williams, their senior guard, who is the leader yeah. on this team um, yeah. is saying, you know, after they lost to Colorado, then they lost another game. And it's like, well, I felt like giving up because we had sacrificed so much. We had put so right. much of ourselves in this season that it felt like to me, I, I wanted to give in. And the yeah. team just didn't let that happen. The team collectively did not let go of the rope all year long. And then in the, in the championship game, it came it came back, right? Like there was times right. where Arizona was storming back. And there was times yeah. where Arizona had chances to, to go ahead and break Stanford. And they never okay. did. They never did because Stanford said, we're not letting go of this rope. We're going to come back. We're going to hit a shot. Haley Jones is going to come back, hit a shot. We're going to get a defensive stop. We're going to grab the defensive rebound, which, yes. you know, we could talk about Stanford's 20 turnover, 21 turnovers, and we could start, we could talk about Arizona's um, uh, shooting percentage, which I think was like yeah. 20%. But 20, I was going to say 27 something. Yeah. The rebounding advantage for Stanford was 47 to 29. Yeah. You got to end mean, the possession. And that's part of, that's part of that mentality, I think. No doubt. And, and that's, that's guts too. I mean, yes, some of it is positioning and, and where you need to be on the boards. But I mean, that's how they got by South Carolina. And yes, you know, they, there were a couple of things going on throughout that game that you can also circle. But when you're talking about the board work that Stanford uh, distributed or displayed in, in this tournament, in the final four in particular, I mean, they had 24 second chance points against South Carolina, which was a season high. Uh, for opponents for South Carolina. And and that was a big difference. You're talking about a one possession game. So you're looking at the Arizona Stanford game. You're talking about a one point game and Mm -hmm. those boards, you think about it. If they just got two or three more rebounds and they scored on one or two of those possessions, like it's a different story. So boards, everyone talks about 
hey, offense sells tickets, defense, that those win game that wins games. But I'm telling you what, rebounding wins championships. And I believe that's a Pat Summit quote it as is. well. And you See, beat me to it because I've been reading. <laughs> I've been reading my book, and I love to bring up the fact that I'm reading a book, and then Christy just runs over the quote <laughs> that I was going to use. No, but it's 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 true. I like, thought it was bad. Yeah, boarding is just something that shows commitment. I think. And yes. This yes, team yes. had great commitment um, yep. all year. And how about Haley Jones? I mean, yeah, you know, we talk all year about all the other young players: Leah Boston, Paige yeah. Becker, is Caitlin Clark. Haley Jones has a great season and she see me, she kind of run, you know, flies under the radar a little bit. She's in the pack. Yeah. 12. of their games are a little hard to watch. So she flies under the radar until it comes tournament time. And she's hitting clutch buckets in pretty much every single game, Louisville in the elite eight, uh, South Carolina in the final four. And then in the championship game, she hit clutch shots in each of those stages and looked yeah, just, just so confident and mature. Um, I think that's that's kind of a theme for a lot. Of, like it was, it was whose young players were the most confident, the most mature, the most ready for the moment, and it, and it turned out to be Haley Jones. Yeah, I mean, and just listening to her after the game as well. I mean, she was just beaming. Number one, because I, I think when when you're not mentioned um, in the group of names that that you just said, Gabe, and you know, Haley Jones was never mentioned really all year. Yeah. Um, just in terms of having those those players lumped in, the, the players that you see on on uh, Twitter rolling through every other day, like her name and and face, like we didn't we didn't see that, but what we did see was leadership. And I think mm-hmm. when you have that kind of stability and leadership that Haley Jones displayed in the Final Four in particular, I mean it's it's tough to beat a team that has that. It's tough to beat a team that has that kind of steadiness when you when you have a player in Haley Jones who can provide you with with clutch moments throughout the game, not just at the end of the game, but she did make that clutch shot um, against Arizona down the stretch. But when you're talking about clutch plays, like we we're in a little bit of a drought. We're doing great defensively. Arizona's not knocking in shots. We need to score. And she would always come up with with big plays. And and I think you have to give her, you know, her just due in terms of her respect and and what she was able to do uh, in the tournament to get Stanford to the top again. Not no longer (laughs) flying under the radar. Um, No, no. And not that Stanford. I mean, we talked about Stanford is one of the best teams in the country all year, but it is hard to watch them like I don't want to be rude, but the Pac-12 network is not readily available on the East Coast. So it was kind of hard to watch them all year and and really – dig into them um, as a fan. So I'm glad, I'm glad they got their shine. I'm glad they got their moment and the PAC 12 got its moment because Arizona was also right. And Arizona, man, what a, what a great story um, for Arizona and Adia Barnes, just I, and Ari McDonald, we can't say Arizona without saying, uh, without saying Ari McDonald, because she was, and she was incredible. In, in so many ways, but she was also just fun. Like there is, was. that's, that's this, this specialness. The, the, there's legends made in March. I think we I've said that like eight times in, in these pot in this podcast throughout March. It's like legends are made. Ari McDonald was a legend from this <laughs> tournament. Oh, no doubt. And I tell you what, I mean, that shot that she missed, boy, that thing had a mm. great chance of going glass and going in. Oh, my gosh, hollering. I mean, it just mm. looked good leaving her hands. Although right before she caught that ball, Gabe, it looked like she was trying to get a timeout because yeah. I don't think she she didn't see what they had written up and it wasn't forming the way she wanted. They did have that one timeout, but she did get it. And I think you have to give Adia Barnes credit to trust her in that moment. But what a star. What a star. I mean, everyone in the Pac-12 knew about Ari McDonald. Everyone knew about uh, her defensive prowess, number one, you know, defensive player of the mm-hmm. year, a Pac-12 player of the year a couple of times. I mean, this is a kid who um, on the West Coast, it was, you know, women's basketball, Ari McDonald in the Pac-12. Easy. But now the whole world saw this pint-sized firecracker of a kid come out there and say, listen, uh, you can say what you want about my size. You can know all the analytics about what I want to do with the ball all you want to. Guess what? 
I'm still going to get it done. And the fact that she had those back-to-back 30-plus point performances headed into the final four yeah. and the final four, I mean, it's and that's with people knowing who she is. And, and that's, you just got to give that, you're going to shake her hand, man. Take your hat off, shake her hand, and, and tell her way to go. And I know, you know, that's no consolation. You know, there's yeah. really nothing you can say when you when you get all the way to that point and, and lose by one possession and not shoot the ball that well. She didn't have her best game um, and the team didn't shoot their best. And, you know, that is, this is a tough way to go out. So there's really no X and O explanation for that for the kids. You know, they just have to kind of live through that sting, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, it's been years since we were knocked out of the final four in every March, man, I'm telling you <laughs> it stings. It's going to, it's going to sting. And it's just the way it is. But then there's also the side of it that that you're grateful for the opportunity because you know how hard it was to get there. And like we said earlier, just because you've gotten there once doesn't mean you get there all the time. And so just to enjoy the fact that you had the opportunity to compete at an elite level um, in the final four with some epic competition. And, you know, you can kind of hang your your hat on that. But, you know, the competitive side always rears its ugly head. When you, when you oh, don't yeah. have, have the net to uh, to speak for you in that moment as well, though. Oh, yeah. No, I'm sure Ari is regardless. I mean, she she's a legend. <laughs> she made her moments. Uh, she's upset that she's not she doesn't have that trophy for, for sure. Arizona. But, you know, I, I don't think it, it's just sometimes you're the other team's better. I think Stanford came out with a great game plan and they made one <laughs> more shot. They made one right. more shot. That was it. It's like yeah, you can't you one more shot. put it. You put everything you had out there. Um, but I did, you know, and Adia Barnes, though, like, what a program building tournament. Like, this is yeah. not, I think, you know, I'm going to look this up, actually. I'm going to see what teams have only made it to one Final Four. Because I just think we're going to see this Arizona team back in the Final Four. Because they are, they're so, I, do, I just think Adia, like, captured the imagination of a lot of recruits in the country by, you know, being there for her players, by being, mm-hmm. oh, you know, telling people that she's breastfeeding, by being, you know, <laughs> like throwing up the birds after they beat UConn. Like, <laughs> I love that. I'm like, you know, if I'm a player. That's the coach I want to play for. Um, I think this is just going to be a really program building moment and they're losing talent. You know, no doubt they're losing talent. Um, but I just think they're going to, they're going to be, they're going to be back here because you yeah. look at how much talent there is out there and you have a coach that can recruit a coach that can coach and a coach that can inspire. I yeah. think that's the recipe to having a great program. Um, so I, I am looking it up at the teams who have made one final four. So we got like uh-huh. Oregon and Washington and Oregon state um, and Cal. Actually there's a lot of PAC 12 teams here. Who have only oh, one. wow. wow. Uh, and I guess, Oh, Syracuse only made it one time. Interesting. But oh, Syracuse, yeah. a couple years ago, Syracuse, Oregon State, uh, Oregon, those are all really good programs. And I think we're going to see Arizona up there, even with the loss of Ari McDonald. And maybe, maybe they take a step back in the next couple of years. But I just, you know, you look at that and you're like, this is a moment that's going to go down and mean something going forward. We're going to be replaying these games when Arizona gets back into the Sweet 16, back to the Elite Eight back to the final four and, and hopefully right. back to the championship game. And hopefully that doesn't take too long for Adia Barnes. No, I love what Adia Barnes Copa has been able to do with her program. I mean, you're talking about three seasons ago, her, her team only winning six games and then winning the WNIT championship as an appetizer. And then not only getting to the final four, but making it to the championship game and, and just to lose it by one possession. I mean, so much left in the tank in terms of what she is going to be able to do with that program at Arizona. But I mean, just as a mom, seeing her excel the way that she has excelled, especially this year with the newborn in the fall Mm -hmm. and then going through the whole year with the newborn under her arm and, you know, at halftime pumping so that she can breastfeed her baby. And I just, you know, I just give her so much credit for that. And it's not like, Oh, well, that's what she's supposed to do. I mean, she's a mom. She's supposed to listen. If you've never done that, then I don't want to talk to you about it. So (laughs) I have three children who have fed that way and, you know, been in offices with a breast pump. And I mean, sorry, Gabe, if that's too much information, (laughs) but it's still, I I think there's a normalized talking about it. 
I know you're right, but there, there's a commitment. There's a commitment that moms make. And I think when you are not just um, committed as a mom, but also committed professionally, I think there's so much to be said for that. And, and we do need to normalize that and we do need to discuss it more. And I think with, with her being just open about it, you know, this is what I have to do. I'm going to do it. And it's just so matter of fact. And for her to display that kind of leadership as a mother, as a woman, as a coach, uh, I just think it, it's just, uh, it's been amazing to watch. And I, I know that, you know, people had um, so many things to say about Adia Barnes and um, after they beat UConn by 10 in the semifinal game, knocking UConn out for the fourth consecutive uh, final four in the, in the semifinals. I, I think for, for people to say that, and, you know, act like you've been there before. Oh, my God, that's classless. What are you doing? And not to excuse it. At the same time, let's put it in context. They were left out of the the highlight video that had three of the four teams in the final four. And listen, I'm going to tell you what, you don't need a lot of motivation at that point of the season. But boy, was that a motivating factor? Absolutely. Why are you going to leave us off? Like, we're just chopped liver out here. Like, we're just going to just, we're just here to, you know, lose. No, we're not here to lose. So it was the rallying cry. And she was saying, all the haters, you know, they leave us out of the video. They they don't talk about us at all. We don't know who we are. We know who we are. We did this for us. Boom, boom, boom. Forget all the haters. I'm, I'm right with her on that. Like, you don't exclude. Like, if this is, if it's four, if they're final four, it's not a final three. It's a final four. Everyone got there and earned their way. So give them their respect. So I just felt like, you know, if you've never been disrespected, then you can't say what that feels like or what it should look like for you because that's never happened to you. But I will say as a mom, if any of the coaches of my three children said that after a game, I would be all right with that. And, you know, I don't drop bombs. I don't, I don't cuss when I coach. I, you know, I, I met very matter of fact, I'm very passionate. I'm very animated, but I'm not going to have a list of bombs I'm dropping while I'm talking to the kids. And I'm not going to call the kids out of their name. I'm not going to cuss at the kids. I'm not going to do that, but I will hold you accountable and I will be tough on you, but you should want that if you want to win. Anyway, I digress. But when you're, when you're talking to players and you're saying, what in the F was that? Or what was, what in the F was that? Blah, 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 bleepity bleeper. Like I would have a problem with that as a mom, if you're talking to my child that way, but if it's a motivating thing, I, you know, everybody has their own way with that. And the act like you've been there before, if you've never been there before is, is not good enough for me. And if Adia Barnes Copa, she hasn't been there before and that's the way she wanted to motivate her team, let her do that. And when you coach and take a team to the final four for the first time, you celebrate the way you want to do it. And there's that about that on that, Gabe. Yeah, I think, you know, as a, so I went to the University of Miami, obviously our, our team, our football teams in the 1980s, you had a, uh, a well-earned reputation for uh, mm-hmm. smack talk and dancing in the end zone and, uh, you know, getting in your face. And what they would always say is, if you don't like us dancing in the end zone, don't let us score. Well, because, if you don't want to celebrate, if you don't want to celebrate in the way we want to celebrate, if you got a problem with this, maybe don't let us win. Huh? Well, maybe um, don't let us win. If you don't want that, then hey, you you have the control of just stopping us from winning. If you cannot stop us from winning because we are too good, then you you need to sit down and be quiet. And you can watch or you cannot watch. It doesn't matter. But if we win, I'm going to do whatever I want. And I agree with Adia Barnes. And she has nothing to apologize for. I'm glad she did not apologize for it. Because it, it, there's nothing to apologize for. Like, you celebrate the team the way you want to celebrate. You got to coach the way you got to coach. I mean, obviously, like you're saying, there's there's a line that, that should not be crossed. But, I mean, you know, back to Pat Summit. Like, Pat Summit got on people. And she's, she's – I'm reading the book. And she's like, I got – I had to play mind games. I had to be manipulative with people and, and make sure that they acted in the way that the team needed. Right. I think that's what all coaches do. You know who, co- who curses a lot in practice? Gino Auriemma. We know this about him. And it's 
and that's just how he coaches and he gets the most out of his team. Uh, well, some would say he does not get the most out of his team because he's not in championship games. I disagree. I think Gino's doing obviously a great job, but oh, great job. But like, just just celebrate how you want to celebrate. I, I hate the whole policing of like, oh, you can't yeah. do this, you can't do that. If you don't want us dancing, don't let us in the end zone. <laughs> if you don't want us to flip the double birds after the game, don't let us win by ten. If you don't want us to be mad at people for 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 not recognizing us recognize us thank you like you know that's thank you so to me like that is just a a thing that um happened and you know people are always going to get mad about this and and they kind of as adia barnes she doesn't care no and and that's the thing it's like when you're when you're a ball player when you're hooping you know somebody throws you an elbow and then you throw it back you always get the foul on the on the response Mm -hmm. right but nobody sees that first elbow that was thrown let's talk about that like it's the initial action that causes the reaction and then if that reaction is negative boy you're going to get roasted for it and that's not okay like how about don't elbow me you won't get jacked up how about you don't wwe throw me on the floor and get upset when the player reacts to that and that happened in our south lakes game um this year a kid flipped one of our guards over and our guard was like excuse me and you know (laughs) my kid got got in trouble for that and i'm like she just flicked her over like what are we watching like what's happening and not to say that you know because that happened my kid should have responded in that way but she could have hurt her like it's it's, it was insane anyway but whatever um there's always going to be this double standard there's always going to be a reactionary response you know that people pay more attention to unfortunately and for adia barnes copa and and her team i mean just kudos to them and those kids when she did say you know forget all the haters we were going to the championship game and they were jumping for joy after that. It wasn't like they were like, oh, my God, they weren't clutching pearls and saying, oh, coach just said that, you know, forget the haters. Like, no, they're like, yeah, let's go. Like, <laughs> we're on to the next out here. We won. How about that? And we're going to the championship game for the first time ever in the history of our program. Mm. Celebrate it. Celebrate that. And if it's the 18th time you've been to championship game, celebrate it. Like, it's awesome. <laughs> like you know, you, these things don't come, you know, these That's right. moments, these championships, these, uh-huh. these times where you win and, and can celebrate are too few and far between. So whatever way you want to celebrate, I'm with it. Um, I think, I don't think, to be honest, I don't think like Gino or the UConn program has any problem with this. It's, no, it's it's people online. Although I'm sure Gino's going to use it because this is what yeah. great coaches do, right? They use exactly. whatever, and that's what Adia Barnes did. She saw that video, and she probably didn't. She didn't, you know, the, the Arizona players probably wouldn't have seen that video re- if it was just a normal video. But because it didn't right. include them, it was like, oh, boom, we have bulletin board material. Let's put that of up. Course. Let's talk about it. Let's put let's get it behind us and let's put it on their shoulder. Um, so I'm I'm with it. I loved it. Um, and I think I think Arizona just a magical season and hopefully one that's not just a one-off. Oh, Christy. All right. Talk to me. You know, we we you know we haven't talked about yet. I don't know. What is it? We've Maryland talked about losing, a lot. Maryland oh. losing to Texas. Oh, we haven't. We we left that out of we- the uh <laughs> scenario last week because I think we were both still kind of feeling what in the world happened in that game yeah we can definitely talk about it now though i've kind of marinated over it uh you know (laughs) it's um it's disappointing to me i think uh when you had this and and you know i think maryland's gonna be back we haven't heard anything about uh, all their seniors are coming back right they are coming back i saw that which you know and i did see that uh they're ranked um early top 25 as number five Mm mm-hmm next year um, with everyone back i like it and no one we haven't heard anything about transfer although i did get an email that was a misprint the email subject was diamond miller and others transferring and they meant diamond johnson from Rutgers. i was like oh, diamond, diamond miller's not transferring oh gosh we need, yeah, to, get no. on, we need to get in the car and make sure she doesn't leave exactly um, but yeah the the game against texas was just i haven't have you seen Maryland play a game like that this year? Because I was I was kind of stunned that um, the lack of execution. And, it, you know, you look at the stats, and they don't really even tell you this story. It's just they didn't shoot well from three. 
And then it, it just kind of fell apart. They, they lost the string, I think, of their offensive flow. Yeah, I think it's definitely down the stretch, Gabe. And I think, you know, they had, they had won all of their games down the stretch there, the last 15, 16 games by double digits. Mm-hmm. So you can practice situational things if you want to, and that's, that's great. And it's, it's good to, to put that on, on the players just to see how they operate, to see who you can depend on in clutch moments and, and crazy times like that. Obviously, that, that has been done um, over and over by Brenda Freeze. But when you have that moment on that stage with players that don't have a ton of experience because they didn't get to play in the final, I mean, or in, in the championship last year in the NCAAs. Mm-hmm. So this is their first time being in the NCAA tournament. And other freshmen, I understand that you can say the same thing, you know, when they get the opportunity at that stage, man, it's a different beast. It's a different beast because mm-hmm. the whole season is on the line. You're dependent upon as a young player, uh, either freshman or sophomore, because either way you didn't have experience last year in the tournament. Right. But I think, yeah. I think that was, was the downfall for Maryland is that they did not have that. And they did rely heavily on their threes, but they had games where they weren't hitting those threes too. So um, but they were able to still win because they they did the other things well. Um, and this game against Texas, I mean, Texas, they really did a good job of of taking the air out of the ball. I mm-hmm. don't I don't think they took one shot, and I haven't seen this on her hoop stats, like you know the analytics and the breakdown. But I don't think they took one shot with less than twelve seconds on the shot clock. Oh no! I mean, no. and I think that must have been a rule. Like if you do that, you're coming out and you're sitting down. I mean, I, I think they really did a good job of utilizing their offense as their defense. Like the longer we take down here, the less time they have to score it on the other side. And, you know, you can say, well, they really did a great job defensively, which they did. And defense is rebounding. And I think they, they really did a good job of, of keeping Maryland off the glass. So, yes, their defense was good. But I also think that their offense was a main contributing factor to their defense because they didn't have as many defensive possessions <laughs> to contend with the length of Maryland um, and the offensive ability of Maryland. So I think they did a really good job of limiting Maryland on the offensive side and, and how long they had the ball in that game. I think what you, what you said about the shot clock, like controlling the pace of the game against Maryland mm-hmm is huge like that is the the way that texas beat maryland is the exact script and they yeah. only won by three right so like if maryland exactly. shoots better than 22 percent from three we're talking about it we're talking about an, a maryland win if they're shooting their normal percentage right like this is an easy maryland win but what right. texas did was just completely take you out of the flow of the game they just, yep. they held the ball they pushed yep. it down low to charlie collier to take advantage of maryland's one weak point um, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more Angel Reese, to be honest, but I understand. I understand when you get down to it and, and Brenda, and it's like Brenda Freeze had a decision there. It's like, do we sacrifice our offensive end? Do we bring in Angel for a defensive end? And then basically it comes down to who do I trust the most? And you've had this team who's been amazing all year long and Angel right. essentially just came back from an injury. So I, I do understand uh, yeah, I, I understand the decision. And if they won the game, right, there's no questioning it. But I, I yeah. do wish we got to see a little bit more Angel Reese just just to control the flow. But, yeah, you know, I'm looking at the stats. and It's like offensive rebounds, 11 to 11 total rebounds. Uh, Texas won it by one. You know, you look at turnovers. They're pretty much equal blocks. Maryland actually won the block battle. They just fouled a little bit more. They and they didn't shoot. They went five of twenty-two from three-point land, and that's the difference. And then you know it's one-game season, and Texas and you know deserves a ton of credit for controlling that pace and not letting Maryland get out to what they wanted to do. And Celeste Taylor was amazing coming down the stretch in that game. She was. There's a lot. She was. Yeah, no doubt. And and just the the points off turnovers wasn't it seventeen by Texas? Uh, You have that in front of you. I don't. I don't have that in front of me. I, I believe that's what it was too. And, uh, you know, when you're talking about a one possession game, you know, I believe that the Maryland's live ball turnover situations that hurt them. 
And mm-hmm. I believe it was 17 off of their 11 turnovers. And I believe that Maryland only scored maybe 10 off of, of the 11. I believe that's what it was um, just off the top of my head, but you guys can uh, let me know. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I think that was correct. But, um, but with that, I mean, down the stretch, I mean, Ashley Owusu, I mean, just uncharacteristically uh, throws the ball to Mimi Collins, I, I believe. Wasn't it Mimi uh, Collins at the elbow? Yeah. And Mimi, I don't know if she was not expecting it because she didn't come to the ball at all. But I just think they were they froze in that moment. And I just think that when you've won so easily time and time again, leading into that tournament yeah. and and just playing your best basketball and shots were falling and your defense was on point and just they were just out of rhythm all game. But I think when it and it's not Ashley Wusu's fault, so don't don't take it that way. But I will no. say that it was very uncharacteristic because the flow was off all game. The flow was not there. And, you know, it was worrisome. It wasn't just they played great and then down the stretch they froze. No, it was it was just we need to make a play right now. And it just looked like they were they were out of sorts and where that was going to come from. And Diamond Miller played her butt off. You know, that one move, I almost lost my mind. Oh, yeah. She went down and stretched out. The, oh, my gosh. She flipped that ball up there. I was like, are you kidding me? It was beautiful. Only a sophomore. I mean, she was just a star in that game. But I think they needed, obviously, the defensive stops. They needed down the stretch something to the rim. And they needed to obviously take care of the ball. Those last couple of turnovers, is inopportune times, you know, to, to mm. do that. You know, the last two or three turnovers were log ball situations. And Texas, they were able to get the other way and either score or get fouled and get to the line and finish. And and that did them in, I think. Gabe, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, they responded well after those other two losses they had during the season early on to Missouri State and then to Ohio State by two during Big Ten um, conference play. But after that, they responded with huge wins. The first one over Arkansas, they scored 115 to 92 or 93 in that game. And then they came back after the Ohio State loss and, and beat somebody by 38, I believe. Something like that. It's like, like a huge win right after. So unfortunately, they have to wait till November to mm-hmm. get back on the court together. But their responses to losing during the year were big time. And the fact that all of them, all the seniors said that they want to come back. I mean, I think that speaks to, we know we didn't do what we needed to do in that game and give credit to Texas for that. But at the same time, we want another crack at it and we're going to come back and see what we can do about that. So I, you know, give them credit for, for that kind of approach as well. Yeah. Well, and I'll say this, Ashley Wusu needs to be better. She needs to be, and she will be like, we, we expect her to be the great player, you know, one of the best players in the nation. She needs to yeah. be better in this game. Flat out, yeah. I think if you asked her, she'd say, I needed to be better. And that's what great players see, and that's what they, she's going to see in this offseason. She's going to want to get um, mm-hmm. better next year, and I think she will be. I think, you know, having – I'd have Maryland actually at four. If I'm okay. looking at the, I'm looking at the top 25. If you, if you want to talk about it, um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. probably have Maryland a little bit higher. So we have, this is, uh, this is Charlie cream. Um, okay, go ahead. Talk to yeah, so from ESPN, so we got UConn first, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty hard to, uh, dispute considering they have Paige Beckers who won all of the awards and, Essentially, everyone else. Um, oh yeah, Kristen Williams is coming back. Jesus Christ! Yeah, they had no and Avina Westbrook's coming back. Yeah, they had the no seniors. Team. They had babies. They, you know, they had juniors, but no seniors. Oh, no wow. seniors so they, there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and uh, you know they're adding someone named AZ Fudd. Uh, AZ, that's my yeah, baby man. <laughs> AZ's gonna turn into a killer next year. <laughs> She's gonna terrorize college basketball. So yeah, UConn, UConn number one is uh, that's that's not a difficult decision there. Um, South Carolina comes in at number two. Um, okay. I'm trying. Are they? Lo- I don't think they're losing anybody either. Is anybody? Are any of these big? I don't think UConn, South Carolina. Obviously, Stanford's losing. Uh, Kiana Williams and Anna Wilson. Um, right. And Baylor's losing Dee Richards and Moon Urson. 
Those right. are those are four really big losses to those teams, but largely the the cores of these top five teams in UConn, South Carolina, Stanford, Baylor are all coming back. Um, yes. Yeah. Ap- after that, it becomes really really interesting um, because then you have teams like you know Louisville, Indiana, NC State, Iowa. Iowa is the team that. You know, I think a lot of eyeballs are going to be on Iowa next year yep. because of Caitlin Clark and her in her sophomore year. Yeah, oh, no question. I mean, you look at the the Big Ten teams and the top ten right there. You know, that was that was pretty mm-hmm. cool to see. Um, you know, obviously four teams in the and Sweet Sixteen for the Big Ten, but I think to have them now be in in the top ten in in the uh, preseason list, I think that's pretty exciting. And and yes, Caitlin Clark as uh, Ari McDonald did made a name for herself in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, but we knew just like the PAC 12, they knew about Ari McDonald. Well, the big 10 knew about Caitlin Clark and yes. then the NCAA tournament just dialed that up to a thousand for both of them in terms of awareness of what kind of ballers they are. And, you know, that's exciting. And I love how uh, they said, I think, um, you know, they're still cutting that Stanford's still cutting the nets down, but here's the new top 25 list for next year. I was like, confetti is still like drifting down to the floor in San Antonio and boom, here's, here's the list for next year. But um super excited for all those teams. And like you said, Gabe, I mean, there's so many players who, you know, made a name for themselves, but there's so many programs too, who made them, you know, aware you know, of, you know who, of what the national landscape will, will be with them in it. You know who's down this list? Arizona. Huh. Okay. Hey, we're getting double birds again next year, baby. Let's go. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, that's, didn't they learn not to leave them out with I, things, man? I wouldn't. I also think uh, – I think um, – we got uh, Georgia Tech's a bit low, to be honest. I, at 20, mm-hmm. I think uh, what Nell Fortner was able to do, I'm pretty sure. I don't think there's anyone that's not coming back because Kubai says she's coming back, Fletcher says she's coming back. So the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, I think, should be a little bit higher um, playing in the ACC. I give my ACC teams some respect out here. Um, like Maryland. Maryland and a great ACC team needs a little bit more respect. Um, you but, said ACC by mistake, right? No, I didn't. They're an I, ACC I knew, team in my heart forever. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to see. I mean, we got Michigan up here at the 11th, Oregon 10th, and we'll see what happens throughout the rest of the offseason. Right. Hopefully we don't have too many, too many more transfers because the transfer portal is getting uh, trans- I mean, transfer portal looking like you ever, you watch, uh, you watch Avengers Endgame. I have seen it because, um, my son Jordan is watching that yeah. and uh, has watched it and discussed so there's a it. Scene, there's a scene with like a bunch of portals opening up and then superheroes flying through. That's the transfer portal in the NCAA <laughs> era. Exactly Just true. like everybody's in the portal. I don't um, get it. It's too many, man. It's like, what is it? A thousand? Somebody said it's over a thousand kids in that that's a portal. Lot. That's a Why? Why yeah. are you doing that? And I know we I have think, different sort of opinions of it yeah. and I, I get it, but that's too many. Gabe. The, and the thing about it now that that is that is really an enigma, in my opinion, is the fact that now the 2022 kids coming out of high school and the 2023 kids coming out of high school are going to be impacted with their recruiting. Because yeah. I'm going to tell you what, if I'm a college coach, I'm going to get players who have college experience before I get mm-hmm. a high school player. And now we're it used to be like, OK, you would get some Juco kids you know, just to kind of bolster your experience. If you're going to have a young team, let's get one or two JUCOs on the recruiting radar so that we can bolster our our experience level. But now JUCO players are now being impacted too in terms of their opportunities to compete at the division one level, because everybody's dipping into this portal and half your team is going to be from the portal. And you may get one or two kids coming out of high school. And the JUCO kids, I don't know what they're going to do. I just think it's like this, you know, and the kids coming back, you know, you get the free year. Mm-hmm. So now you got the class of 22 and 23 are going to be backlogged. What are they going to do? Well, I think, I think one way to attack this, um, because, you know, for, for me, like, I'm not going to criticize, because I don't have any specific person to criticize in terms of, like, I know their situation. They shouldn't be transferring, right? But I think I a it. way to to kind of um, help 
that pipeline that you're talking about is to push maybe the recruiting windows a little bit further back, push signing day a little bit further back. So they can see where, um, you know, that where things land in terms of transferring, because once you sign with the school and you like get to the school, it's much harder to then say, Oh, I'm, I'm leaving now because there's eight people in front of me. Um, So I think if you, if you kind of push back recruiting and have it, have it end closer to the start of the season, you're going to have more players open, have keep their options open to say, Hey, yeah. you know, it, it, okay. All of the, all of the players either that I wanted to play with are gone from the school, or there's a bunch of new players are going to play in front of me at the school. So now I want to go to wherever those players came from or go some, you know, so I think there has to be, if you're, if there's going to be less restrictions in transferring, which I agree with, um, right. there has to be less restrictions on signing. Um, I know it's all very difficult for coaches and I'm not, I'm not unsympathetic it to is. that, but it is. you know, I think, I think there has to be a, a, a one for one there. Like if you're, if you're going to have more transfers, well, you have to have more flexibility in your signing so that you can go to a different school. If the, if a different opportunity presents itself for whatever your priorities are. Yeah. I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I, you know, hopefully people who are making those decisions are listening because I just think that, you know, to have the dead period be extended. I think now it's going through the end of May mm-hmm. for, you know, the upcoming couple classes that are, are matriculating through, but, you know, I think there needs to be adjustments. If they're making adjustments, like you said, on the NCAA level, you know, you get the year back, you get the blanket waiver and all these things and kids have the opportunity to come back. I mean, I think the high school players should have some kind of opportunity as well with those windows being adjusted uh, for their benefit, because I just feel like they're really getting squeezed, um, squeezed out of the picture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've worked hard too. They have dreams and aspirations as well, but now, you know, we're, we're closing the door on their faces and, and continuing to compete. And we'll worry about you guys later. The win is later. I mean, how long are you going to wait to, you know, to help that, that group of players who are uh, to me being um, really jeopardized? in terms of their um, their opportunities being taken away. Uh, so apparently the people that make these decisions were listening because they pushed back signing day to August 1st. But that's just for this year. So that's just okay. because of COVID, um, which makes a ton of sense, yeah. obviously, because makes there was sense. a lot. Yeah, it makes sense for this year. But honestly, if it works out and it's not too big of a problem, I'd probably mm-hmm. just keep it there because it, then it allows transfers to kind of get out of the way first. Because like you're saying, they're going to be a, a, a higher priority than college and uh, then high school kids. And then it allows high school kids to kind of have more time to fit in more visits should they need to. Um, exactly. So I think I think hopefully they'll they will come to a good balance on that front. Um, yeah. Another thing that could help uh, would be more WNBA spots for uh, draftees. Um, cause let me see, let me see what our final count here is. I think we're at 56 players. Um, don't, don't get me started with that. Cause that's another thing. It's a pet peeve of mine right now. And all these players that I'm seeing, you know, I'm declaring for the WNBA draft. I'm like, baby, there, there are 12 teams and I'm trust and believe the players who are on those rosters aren't going to step aside to give you an opportunity mm-hmm to live your dream. Listen, <laughs> you better make your decisions properly. You better have the right people in your ear because yes, we need expansion, but that's, that's not happening this year. And you're coming to the league or you're saying you want to be in the league. Well, there are already people there and yeah. that's going to be a tough road for some of those kids. And I feel sorry for some of them who are not getting proper advice on that. Well, I think a lot of them are also like, you know, I'm just kind of done with college. I might as well declare for the draft and and either go play internationally or, you know, do something. But, you know, I've, it, it is true. Like there is just going to be and we say this every year and it turns out to yeah. be about the same that I ha- I wrote an article about this um, before last year's draft um, where mm-hmm. I said you know, I thought it's going to be it's going to be tough for draft picks to make it. Um, so just about, um, 18% of players picked in the bottom half of the draft make opening day roster, make opening day rosters. Um, 18%. 
18%. So if you're not picked in the top 15, uh, if you're not picked in the top, what is it? 12? What am I saying here? 12. 12. Yeah, yeah. Top, uh, no, it's no, no, it's 12 plus six. 18. I'm good at math. If you're not picked okay, in the top 18 <laughs> picks in the draft, you ha- you're going to have a really rough time to make a roster. And especially this season where, you know, we're talking about players preferring transfers to, um, to high school kids. All their players, most pro coaches are going to want professionals over yep. college kids. Uh, yep. even if that's even if that professional year was outside of the United States, which is what we see a lot in uh, yeah. the WNBA, you'll, you'll see some, and especially if the European ranks open up a little bit and we get more vaccines, there's going to be a lot more European players. So it's going to be tough for players that are in that, even if you get drafted, because remember there's only 36 draft picks and we're, I think we're at 57. Yeah. We're at 57 players. So yes. if you're a part of that 36 that gets drafted, great, but you really got to be the top 18 to really have a shot here. Um, and this year may be even harder because of salary cap reasons. A lot of teams are going to be carrying 11 players because of, right. you know, roster spots are just so limited. Um, I just, you know, my solution to this problem is and always has been roster size expansion. And I yeah. understand that this costs the owners a bit more money and we're going to have to do some, some uh, you know, mo- movement of the salary cap. So I'm not sure it can really happen in this collective bargaining agreement, but right. we need 15 spots on each team. That's how right. it should be. We need 15 spots. So then you can carry your, your 10, your 10 player roster plus someone that fills in if someone's hurt. And then you have maybe four, three or four development pieces uh, on your team so that you can spend a third round draft pick on, you know, let's say a DD Richards, a team, a player that I believe should be in the WNBA would be good in WNBA. She just needs a little bit of time to develop her skill set. You want her skill set to grow here when she's in practice in the WNBA rather than, you know, having her go off to, Europe and have to play for a team that, you know, you're not sure how they're, how they're maturing. And I think the NBA has seen this calculus and said, okay, that's why we have a G league and we're ways away from a G league. We're ways away from expansion. Like you mentioned team expansion. So I think roster size expansion with a corresponding bump in salary cap uh, flexibility is what could solve a lot of these issues. Cause them teams have an opportunity to say, Hey, you know, you're going to be on our practice and you're not going to play a ton but you can still be here and develop with us and we can see you every day and we can see your work ethic. And then that, that leads to more players staying in the league. Yeah, I I agree with that. And I think, you know, there used to be, what was it? 13 players on roster. And then they had Mm -hmm. two that had the, you know, the injured reserve, right. Mm -hmm. They had two injured reserve spots. I believe that's correct, but that's been some years now, but I think that was even better because we've seen, teams unfortunately get hit with the injury bug and then all of a sudden you have seven eight players you know we mm-hmm. saw that in the bubble even with the mystics you know they they went through a rash of injuries and players not available and and it makes it tough because now you know now you're on some emergency roster fix you know trying to get players in and out and and it's tough but it is going obviously going to cost something but high risk high reward i i believe you know in a situation like that and and i know it may not be reasonable um, in terms of budgetary issues, but at the same time, there are so many players who are worthy of playing in the WNBA that aren't mm-hmm. going to have a chance to play because the roster sizes are what they are. So I think, you know, the quick fix is to add a couple more spots to the roster, um, mm-hmm. especially with the influx, like you said, of all those players uh, making themselves uh, eligible for the WNBA draft that's on April 15th. I just think that, you know, it, it has to be a wise choice made by the students first who are choosing to do this, but there also uh, needs to be some consideration on the business side for the WNBA, hopefully to um, be able to afford um, these young women opportunities. Mm-hmm. And And it may be uncomfortable at first, but there's no, there's no real growth without being uncomfortable, but you have to also be smart. And I understand that as well, but I would love to see more roster spots so that everyone will be able to have uh, an opportunity to make a team. But I just don't see with all those players, Gabe, I just don't see all of those players sticking on a WNBA roster this year. It's just, uh, there's too many, it's too many of them. 
and not enough teams, not enough spots. And as I said, you know, those players aren't going to step aside and, and watch you take their opportunity from them. Like Diana Taurasi is not going to say, yeah, come on, you can have my spot and, and leave. Are you joking? Like nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to do that. So you need to understand that. And hopefully they're hearing that kind of information as well before they make these decisions to commit to the WNBA draft. Yeah. No. And, and there's uh, this year, it's even more limited uh, because, you know, with the, the bump in the player salary was higher than the bump in the salary cap, mm-hmm. which means teams are going a lot more teams are going with 11 players. Um, you right. know, a team like Washington depending on what happens with Alicia Clark, who's out for the year with the list Frank injury, if they suspend her, they could have a little bit more money, but they will still, they still at the moment are planning to go with 11 players. Cause I'm not sure they're planning to suspend um, Clark. So we have a situation where there's now not even 144 spots. We're talking right. more like 140, maybe right. 140 spots in the league. And that's just not, that's not sufficient for anybody. Um, The issue, the other issue though, and this is something that Richard Cohen talks about pretty often is um, the WNBA's uh, collective bargaining agreement is, is set in like defined terms. So it's like the salary cap shall be X amount of dollars in these years. The maximum amount, the maximum salary is X amount of dollars per year. So it's not flexible in the NBA, the, the salary cap is flexible. It's this percentage of the salary cap goes to the player, or this percentage of basketball-related revenue goes to the players. This percentage of basketball-related revenue goes to the owners. Your uh, salary is 35%. You can be a maximum 35% of the salary can be a minimum of this number. So it, it allows more flexibility for when changes need to arise. That's why they were able sure. to throw in the two-way contracts in, in this collective bargaining agreement. For the women's side, it's just, it's so set in stone that I think it's gonna be really difficult for us to see movement on the on this front of roster expansion uh, before right. disagreements over. And, you know, I just don't, I don't know how we get there. It'd have to, I mean, obviously the player, the players in the, in the league can come together and um, redefine things, but it's also kind of like, well, if you're a player in the WNBA right now, like I love those college kids, but they're not me. And I'm not giving up more. I'm not giving up my money here. Nope. I think that while the league, it would make sense for the league. They're not going to negotiate against themselves. So it's just hard to see how this gets done. Um, in this collective bargaining, which is a shame because there should be more, there should be more yeah. spots. Yeah. Um, and and the players who are currently on WNBA rosters, I mean, they're going to be getting in their bag, but you're not going to get in their money bag. I'll right. tell you that yeah. they're going to get in their game bag, but I'll tell you when it comes to the, you know, they work too hard to renegotiate mm-hmm. the, the CBA and, and all of that. Hey, listen, it's, it's not going to be an easy road, but uh, I think, you know, the fact that we're discussing this is is great for the game uh, in terms of the growth of the game. And, you know, you saw over 4 million viewers watch the mm-hmm. the NCAA Women's Tournament this year, which was up a ton since uh, 2014, I believe. But a lot of eyes are on the game right now, Gabe, which is, which is amazing. And, you know, the fact that we're discussing, hey, we need more spots. I mean, it's just... Um, it's kind of a, a you know beautiful tragedy, well, because it's like we 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 know what we have, but we just need now more opportunity to show what we have, and right. I think that's that's where we are with with the WNBA right now, which I cannot wait for the season to start. By the way, but um, just to have uh, that level of competition here in the states, and I, I'm just excited for it. Uh, I'm gonna put you on the spot because I love to do this. Let's pick. Let's pick where we want an expansion team. Um, not this okay. is not going to happen anytime soon. Um, I've actually said this on a couple different podcasts and in conversations with people around the league. Like this year is going to be a recovery year for the league because every professional sports league in the world lost money last year. So there's going to be a recovery year. There's going to be uh, you know some time next year as well to recover and see how the league is doing in, in a normal time. And there's probably going to be another year before when we're considering expansion at the earliest. And there's going to be another year of like putting an expansion. So we're, we're like 2025 really is like a, t- a realistic um, timeline at the, at the earliest. 
Yeah. However, it doesn't stop us from speculating wildly and looking oh, at the map and, and saying where we want to put a team. <laughs> so uh, I'm trying to think. San Francisco makes sense. Yes, that's what I was going to say first. Bay Area. Okay. Why, Bay why the Bay Area? Area? Team back, man. I mean, Sacramento. I mean, I, I, you know, it's been tough not to have a team there since then. And uh, I mean, the fans were great there. Wait, do you want it in San Francisco or San- Sacramento? Because I want, I agree with Sacramento. I like, I want Sacramento. Yes. I want it back in Sacramento. I love the Bay Area, though. And I love the fact that, you know, you have uh, players on the NBA side like Steph Curry, who, you know, they, he's the ultimate girl dad. I know he has a son too, Cannon, but he's got those two baby girls. And, you know, he's kind of carrying that legacy on the West Coast that, that Kobe started uh, with that and the support of women's basketball. So I like the Bay Area for that reason, but I like Sacramento for the fans and no. they were able to win a championship in 05 and, and how uh, awesome that was. They need a team back there. I agree. And also Sacramento uh, sneakily is one of the best cities in the country. In my opinion, um, it's it, no one else agrees with me. And I, I I'm fine with that. Um, but I, I do love Sacramento as a city. And I think they deserve a WNBA team. And it'd be nice to get recognition for, you know, Yolanda Griffith, teacher Penetrero, the great players that came through Kara Lawson played for the Monarchs. Um, yeah. uh, Ruthie Bolton played for the Monarchs. So it's like, we have we have a legacy there that should be honored. I would really appreciate a team being there. Same argument for Houston. Um, yes, a team in Houston would be great. Uh, I think that that'd be another place. Um, when you look at the map, that's it's missing. Yeah, we're missing Houston. We're missing Charlotte. Um, Philly is always up there. Um, the thing about Philly is like we have New York, we have Connecticut, we have DC. How many more teams do we need? In the Northeast. Yeah. No, I, I love the Houston one because, you know, it's like the Comets. I mean, they won the first four championships in the WNBA. Mm-hmm. Let's give them a place to hang the banners and let's give those players a chance to come back. Like Tina Thompson and Cynthia Cooper, Cheryl Swoops. Let's celebrate those ladies. What are we doing? Like, how do we not have a team in Houston? Put a team in Houston. Matter of fact, I love Sacramento, but I'm going to go with Houston as being like the number one spot where we need a WNBA team back. We need to go back to Houston and, and set the banners up on the in the arena down there and, and let those players come back in and let's let's give them a, a, a standing ovation for what they were able to do. I mean, this is the 25th year of the WNBA. Let's celebrate them somehow and give them a home where they can come back to and you know the fans down there were outstanding as well. Let's let's do that, Gabe. Let's start a petition or something. <laughs> maybe I'm <laughs> going find, too far. We need to find it. We need to find an far. owner. We need to find an yeah, owner. Maybe. Well, it'd be two. It'd be two teams, so we could bring it back to Sacramento and Houston. So we'll have Drake. No, well, Drake loves Houston, but he'd probably put a team in Toronto first. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm not sure who actually. Oh, Vivek Ranadive owns the. Actually, Vivek would probably buy a WNBA team and put him in Sacramento. They have a brand new stadium. Uh, lovely, lovely little town, uh, Sacramento. <laughs> it um, is very beautiful and quaint. So we'll so all right, Sacramento. We'll do that. Uh, and yeah. that, so we have Vivek in, in Sacramento. Who's our owner in Houston? Is it Beyonce? Can we get Beyonce on the phone? I mean, Beyonce and Jay Z. How easy is that? Hey, Beyonce and Jay Z. If you guys are listening, <laughs> took this courtside. <laughs> With Christy and Gabe podcast on the Herb of Stats podcast network, hit us up. We'll get you connected with. <laughs> no, I know, I, I know, I know. Beyonce <laughs> listens in occasionally. She's really busy, she so she doesn't listen like every week. But I know she listens like every once in a while. Um, yeah, Beyonce, buy a team. That's yeah, not let's that much go, money. B. Let's go, B. Yeah, that much money. I'll be the. I'll, yeah. All right, we have well, oh. Christy will be the coach. I'll okay. be the GM, okay. and we're good. And then we'll, oh we have to we have to bring in the Tebow to run everything, but that's that's not a big deal. We're just Absolutely. in the one. <laughs> They're all coaches. Even Nancy, as as Mike has said, Nancy is the coach of the, the household <laughs> in a in a wonderful way. But we'll, wow, we'll bring Eric. in Nancy, Nancy, <laughs> yeah. Nancy, and Asia Jones, and then we're good. That's the <laughs> that's the team. I love it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So Houston, Sacramento is where we want a team. Um, and yeah, I think that's uh. That's that's what I got on that. 
So Beyonce, I, everyone, I'm everyone, sorry. tag Beyonce in this uh, in this podcast. Yeah, tag Beyonce and, and Jay Z. See if we can get some movement down there in in Houston. Get them their respect. Swoops and coop and the Koopa Loop and all of it. Let's get all of that back. Raise the roof down there again in in Houston. Tina Thompson and and all of them. Golly, get that going. But boy. We got this conversation going. I tell you that right now, Gabe. So much great hoop stories to talk about and the possibilities on the horizon as well. But always a pleasure to chat with you, my friend, courtside. And we look forward to more conversations moving to next week. We'll be talking more WNBA draft that's coming up uh, right on the the corner. I know that's going to be fun to continue to dissect what that looks like for the the 12 teams in the WNBA, but always an honor, always a pleasure to catch up with you, Gabe. Where can people catch up with you on social? Uh, At Gabe underscore Ibrahim on Twitter. Uh, On TikTok, I'm at Ball and Order, um, and I am doing some more uh, women's basketball stuff, telling stories on there. Um, TikTok TikTok is weird. I don't really understand it. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that I'm just like, I, this, I'm too old for this, but I do enjoy it. So come follow me on there um, and uh, and on Twitter and follow at Her Hoop Stats and go to HerHoopStats.com and pay for the, the stats package because you're going to need that to understand the moves that are going to be happening next week during the WNBA draft. Ah, absolutely. Absolutely. Ball in order on TikTok. Write that down, folks. I'm telling you, that's going to be the one. It's gonna, <laughs> <laughs> on the ticky tacky. that's what I call it. But <laughs> but you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram, same handle at Christy C H R S T Y W Scott five one on both of those. And I will be chatting hoops mostly on Twitter, but on Instagram, a little bit of family things on there, but mostly hoops on there as well. But always great sitting courtside game, and we will catch up next week. All right. <laughs>